0: Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did it. I'm Noelle Lashley. On today's episode of The Lead, I talk to Atlanta Journal-Constitution data journalist Jeff Ernsthausen. After graduating from the University of Pittsburgh in 2008, Ernsthausen joined the Federal Reserve as a research assistant and later as an economic analyst. He decided to change paths in 2012 and held editorial internships with Harper's Magazine and The Nation. He joined the AJC in 2013, where he became part of the team that conducted the award-winning investigation into doctors and sex abuse. In this episode, we talk about the importance of interviewing data as thoroughly as any other source, the art of thinking outside the box when telling stories, and how the path to success doesn't look the same for everyone. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management and Leadership as part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more. Go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Thank you so much again for doing this with me. I went through your LinkedIn, and I looked at your experience and all the things that you've done, and as someone who's currently in school, I first look at where you went to school, what you went to school for. Mm-hmm. You, were, you were history, philosophy, and economics, right? Yes. So how did you transition from things like history and philosophy into data journalism? How did those
1: Um, apply to it? I think those things probably applied to the transition into journalism a little bit more than directly into data journalism. In undergrad, I was like an editor of a political magazine that our school put out. I think they're still putting it out. So I got some experience with like editing and the process of putting something together. Nothing that really resembled the pace of news, but had some experience and interest in journalism. And I think as working, my first job out of school was with the Federal Reserve and I got there two months before Lehman Brothers collapsed, which then precipitated a you know very strong financial crisis. And I think as I tried to make sense of that event, as so many people were trying to make sense of that event, some of the numerical sort of understandings, the ways that uh, economics tried to explain it weren't holding up, but history seemed to offer a lot of lessons about what was happening from the way that the regulatory regime had changed who was pushing those changes, some things like that that you're just not going to find directly in numbers. You're going to need to tell a story about how this happened. And I think going through that and being at the Fed kind of made opened my eyes to what I was potentially missing by focusing more narrowly on just numbers and trying to understand this crisis through numbers alone.
0: And sometimes I do that because, again, you think I'm going to college, I'm going to design the rest of my life with this specific skill set, but you think about all these other things that you're pulling from. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the things that, oh, this makes perfect sense for what I'm going to go in and go use. I have looked a little bit into coding. I have a sister who's an electrical engineer and will talk my ear off about Ruby and Python and that kind of thing. But I've always found it to be kind of intimidating to look at a whole screen of numbers and brackets and signs. So how how did you get started with coding specifically enough to build that scraper that you talked about earlier mm-hmm. with the AJC?
1: So this is where the econ side led me in some ways to the data journalism side of things as opposed to sort of other parts of journalism. So one of my internships in college was with a, a company that does macroeconomic forecasting and I was supposed to pull out of their database a certain set of numbers and write a report for all these different states. And at some point, like I'm sitting there with their little program typing into it, you know, one command at a time to get numbers back. And somebody looks over my shoulder and is like, you know, you could just put all that into a program and run it through and you could just get all the numbers at once and you don't have to retype it. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't know that. So, that was the first time somebody had showed me coding, and then from there it was like, "Okay, this seems like a really useful way to extend my own capabilities by having a machine do the things that are so regular that a machine can do it so that was my first like experience with coding. it was a language called Fortran, which no one uses anymore and then from there, it's like it just gives it gave me the confidence that whatever the sort of coding issue would be, like I could figure out how it works and with scraping, it was sort of yeah, it started out where I'd had some experience scraping, but not much and just knowing like of course it can be done if a browser can get to this information then i can make a bit of code that can get to it so i think a lot of it is getting that initial confidence that you can do this and then you see that it's kind of this process where you just build things you know it's very much constructed it's not some it's not super mysterious the way that it works you know once you peer past the idea of coding as a intimidating thing it, it's it's pretty intuitive it's like building a cabinet in some ways.
0: When I'm talking to my classmates, we all have the joke where you came into journalism to not do numbers. I know my professors have said that a couple times in class, it's just making fun of us, but especially after looking at the stories that you've done between the AJC and doctors and sex abuse and just the examples that you were showing us earlier, it really seems like the data can unlock those deeper stories. Weren't you going through 100,000 different files when you were trying to narrow it down for the the sex abuse story?
1: Yeah. Um, I think uh, process and is the language of coding to some extent, it's iterative. I think it's helpful to start out by talking to some people to get your head around what the important questions are and what kinds of things you might do with the data that you collect. But it's really, I find the most satisfying thing in working with data to me is that I I might know that there's a certain thing I'm looking for that I'm sure exists. And I can look in the data set and I can find the thing that I need to, to report my story. You can find that person who's been affected several times by one issue by pulling uh, you know a data set out that says you know how many times has you know someone experienced out of something and it's obviously, this wouldn't happen necessarily multiple times but something like foreclosure or something there's somebody who's gone through that process multiple times who can tell me the story of foreclosure in a way that other people might not be able to so then you can also find the subjects of your stories a lot of times in a data set and you can ask some questions to kind of guide you more clearly or more quickly to that source than, than other processes sometimes. And I think that's some of the coolest stuff you can kind of do with that. Uh, that I think relates it back to what we're all kind of, what may have interested most of us in journalism, which is these really compelling narratives.
0: And thinking of the different tools we can use to find those narratives. Yeah. And how to tell it creatively.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did you transition from the Federal Reserve into the AJC?
1: Yeah, there, there was a good year in there that <laughs> separated those two. The probably the the thing that met, helped me make that transition. I took some time off after I worked for the Federal Reserve. I definitely left that job and did some things that I wish I'd done when I got out of college. Like I spent a couple months in Europe and was you know just like traveled and did all that. Did all the fun stuff. Yeah, I did all the fun stuff. I lived on a farm for a little bit. It was fun. I ended up getting some internships. Uh, I interned at Harper's and The Nation, and that sort of guided me back into into journalism. I'd also at that time applied to several other things, and easily my life could have gone a different direction. But I ended up getting those internships, and they gave me the focus and got me the foot in the door that I needed to be, you know, able to apply to some places like the AJC. I think it would be better
0: to try another more intense internship after you graduate or just try to go immediately into the working world? Because like you just said, you had some things you wish you'd done or a couple steps you'd wish you'd followed between mm-hmm. those two.
1: I think it's going to be different for everybody, like what pressure they're going to be under. Sometimes I think people get caught up in trying to go to the biggest place they can go to. And I think there's a benefit in thinking about what you can learn in a smaller place. Um, that you may not have the opportunity to do. I mean, if, for example, I think a lot of times if people end up on really big, there's really big, you know, for instance, uh, data viz teams out there. And if you end up on those teams, likely your role is going to be really specific. You're not going to necessarily get to do the sort of general gamut of things one might do in data journalism or generally in journalism. So sometimes smaller places can give you the chance to like figure out what it is that you really want. And so a position that, May not be at the biggest place possible or the national outlet or something may give you the time to develop and figure out what you really want to do and you'll get to do the kinds of projects that may get you where if you really determined to go to a national outlet or something like that may get you there
0: they might use you more it's yeah like some of my experiences at smaller places they weren't the bright sparkly star that a lot of people reach for but they threw me into it mm-hmm. and As far as data journalism is concerned, it's learning those processes and learning how you can apply them on a wider scale. Mm -hmm. So how do you think that we as journalism students can kind of change our attitude toward numbers Mm -hmm. and be more open to, hey, maybe I can figure this out. Maybe I can learn how to do that.
1: That is a question that I imagine people have thought about and like math anxiety studies and things like this. You know, on the one hand, there's the stick, which is like people are going to, I I remember uh, one of my econ professors once told me this, who was more of somebody who would like to say, let's, you know, come up with some statistics, but, you know, just describe the situation. Don't necessarily have to put everything into an econometric model and get statistical significance to be valid. But he also said, you have to know how to do that stuff because otherwise somebody else is going to come into the room and beat you over the head with it. I think there's an equivalent in journalism where you don't want somebody to be able to... If you're interviewing a source and they've got some numbers and you're not prepared to grill those numbers or interrogate those numbers, they can make it seem super official. But if you're sort of ready to like ask the kind of questions you would ask of your own data set, if you are analyzing it, you can pick at their data set too. And so I think you're less vulnerable to being mystified by somebody else's numbers. So I think it's worth learning for that reason. And I think it's one of those things where... You know, it's at the end of the day, it's like a, it's a lot of the logic that goes into you know SAT testing or GRE testing. It's not you don't necessarily have to learn like calculus. You know, I think it's often presented as you know data is presented with this mystique around it that it maybe is worth challenging. And part of challenging it is learning its own logic so that you can challenge it. And I think folks can learn that
0: when you went through all the data with the doctor's and sex abuse story and you found the people behind it. What was that like for you to actually cross over from this is my number, this is my name into seeing that this is a real person, I have to call them, I have to mm-hmm. bridge these gaps. What was that like?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that was definitely intimidating, I would say. So on the one hand, there's like a lot of excitement when it would be like, wow, I finally found the document that I think just is a total smoking gun sort of thing where it's like, I know this hospital didn't report this person. And they obviously should have reported this person. And not only that, but now I have a legal document showing the agreement between them and their, you know, and the doctor being like, we're not going to report this, but you're going to leave. And it's like, seems like a really weird circumlocution to get around the law. And there's the story. And so there's going to be a story. This person's going to be in the story because it's. Just perfect example in terms of somebody obviously having this agreement with the hospital, and then you at some point are realizing like you you've been working on this, you're trying to get a hold of the person, but you're still writing the story, and you're gonna say something about this person that's going to be very personal. my one colleague said, remember you're calling them as the worst day of their life, and you're trying to talk to them about this other worst day of their life. So it's like, a, I guess, as a social interaction, it's a really strange social interaction to have with somebody, which I guess is part of part of reporting. I do remember wishing that he had answered when I first called, because it's stressful when someone is going to call you back whenever they want. And you're wondering when that call is coming, because, you know, that we're going to talk about a very difficult thing. But, you know, it was part of I mean, it's part of how, you know, we have to do that as reporters. And even though it un- can be uncomfortable, But when we finally talked, I I found that very quickly that went away and the need to kind of ask questions and get somebody talking and hear what they have to say, you know, takes over. That's just
0: interesting to think about, especially when you're going through data, if you're looking at such a controversial thing, bridging the gap between, okay, I've analyzed, but now it's time for it to become real and to pop into their life.
1: Yeah. And the sort of adversarial interview is, there are people who could tell you more about that than me who have done a lot more of them than I have. I'm, you know, still...
0: But it's interesting to look at the combination of you're looking yeah. at the numerical, you have the moral, and then you have the ethical all coming together in yeah. this one moment in this story.
1: Yeah, and you really don't want to, you know, while you want to ensure that the world, you know, maybe knows about something like this, you also don't want to, you can't mistreat that source in some way and you want them to feel like they have been fairly treated and you want to make sure that they, anything they have to say that might run counter to the narrative that you're writing, you want to know now, you know, and not later, so... It's like the most necessary interview.
0: It's a balancing act.
1: Yeah. And I think you said your interest is in TV.
0: I do love my broadcasting. Yeah.
1: So you'll get to do it with three other people in the room.
0: Not (laughs) just that. I get to do it with three other people and a camera in your face Mm -hmm. and a wire on your body. Yeah. So that's always the thing that I try to balance is I need this specific tech for my trade, but I the best interviews I have are when I feel like I can help them make that disappear. Mm-hmm. I followed your work for a long time. I remember at the beginning of her class, we all had to pick a multimedia story to oh, talk really? about, and I picked that one. Oh, and okay. I remember talking about I love graphic novels and graphic design, and I remember seeing how you applied that, and seeing how you applied the numbers, and seeing just how you even got those visual pieces, and you found the people, and you made them come to life. So.
1: Yeah, it was a cool project in that way. Yeah, there were a lot of different parts that a lot of different folks were authorized to do what they always wanted to do and do their best work. And I think Rick being able to do the graphic novel side, I think that was something that was very exciting for all of us and exciting for Rick. And and it, I think, made the stories come to life. And so, yeah, it was very cool that we were given the go ahead for so much in that project.
0: And telling it in a different way and making something so serious suddenly real. hmm Because I f- think sometimes we can get desensitized because we see so many terrible things happen. And the way that we tell our stories, the way that we choose to present them, sometimes can hit. And then people realize it and sometimes they just, they don't click. But that one definitely seemed like it hit so many people. So I'll be really interested like the question in class earlier to see, like, what is the follow up for that?
1: Yeah, we've heard from we heard from a lot of people in the course of it. And there's been some legislative action in a couple of states and a couple of states responding by increasing their transparency. So and uh, some of the industry sort of representatives reaching out to us. So it'll be interesting to see how things might evolve in response to this. I think the these stories will have a longer life than a lot of stories do, because it's sort of one of a kind and what it in the way that it touches on this issue and it's not an issue that is probably gonna go away
0: Sadly, but yeah. true. thank you for taking the extra time to do this and sit down with me yeah no problem thank you for listening to the lead this episode was produced by nate brammel and noelle lashley with special help from keith herndon director of the cox institute at the university of georgia for more episodes with media leaders, go to soundcloud.com slash the lead podcast or find us on Twitter at the Lead Podcast.